there is a pervasive silence as well as shame when it comes to domestic violence. But today on 15 Minutes of Shame, Shame Free Life Radio, we're going to talk about the silence of domestic violence. Let's talk. Today is about the power of you. We can be whatever we dream. You're locked into another episode of 15 Minutes of Shame. Each week, we'll help you rebuild your life one brick at a time by addressing real life issues from a practical and biblical perspective. I had to believe in myself like never before. This is the Shame Free Radio Show. Finding solution to become the greatest. And now your host, minister, author, grief and trauma support specialist, Dr. Ronald Zion Rose. Ladies and gentlemen, this is it. Greetings, 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 Shame Free Life family and friends. You're locked inside of another installment on 15 Minutes of Shame on the Shame Free Life Radio. I am your host, Ronald Zion, and it's so great to be back again under the circumstances. But we're definitely going to talk about this particular issue, uh, the silence of domestic violence. And I couldn't think of anyone else that's out there on the forefront, um, in the foxholes and trenches on the front line as it relates to bringing forth awareness about domestic violence um, and all of the nuances that goes along with that, other than Dr. Cheryl Richardson, who happens to be the chairman and CEO at Judah's Raw Domestic Violence Awareness Initiative, Inc. And without further ado, Dr. Cheryl, thank you so much for stepping inside of the 15 Minutes of Shame shame-free life radio broadcast well i'm honored to uh, i'm honored to be here i know how seriously you take the, the the mission that god has given you and so i know that you are very careful about who you invite onto your platform so i'm honored to be here i'm honored to be here Absolutely. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here not only are you a doctor but you also are an apostle and um uh, I, I just said that for those who may take issue with <laughs> women who happen to be in the office of an apostle. But when we talk mm-hmm. about when we talk about domestic violence, um and the silence of domestic violence, just that whole um category that there's so many voices that are out there, so many organizations that are out there that are sounding the alarm. What prompted you to start your awareness initiative about domestic violence and everything that it entails? Well, I, I, I'm a survivor of domestic violence through my childhood and into early adulthood. And so there's that aspect of it. Um, but even even with that history, you know, I, I would post things periodically on social media or whatever. And I absolutely had strong feelings about it and how wrong it is and how unjust it is. But there was a case in California a few years ago. Uh, I believe it was in 2017. Um, and she, this woman, she's a teacher in California, in San Bernardino, Karen Smith, and her husband, her estranged husband, went to her job um, at a school and shot and killed her in front of her special ed students and her classroom assistants. Um, and two of the little boys cowered behind her, two little nine-year-old boys, and one of them actually died. Two of them were shot. Um, and then he turned the gun on himself. And there was something, although all the cases are horrific, they're all terrible, and they all resonated. There was something about this particular case that just, I couldn't let it go. 
I could not let it go. I mean, I was I was outraged. I was heartbroken. And I think because I identified with her on so many levels. You know, one of my uh, jobs that I have had is as a uh, principal for an alternative school. And so all of my kids were special ed kids. Um, she was a Christian and she was actively involved in her church and everyone loved her. And there is just no reason for this woman to be dead. It, it just really, really bothered me. And so that was the catalyst for becoming more vocal. Um, and then just feeling led of God to just that we just have to do more. We have to do more and we have to keep talking about this and we have to make it very hard for people to ignore. Absolutely. You know, th- th- those those horror stories, I mean, that they're becoming so common, I mean, as as a cold. And, um, you know, it, it just seems like that there are not enough organizations. You would think that 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 uh, there's an oversaturation of um, domestic violence organizations and 501c3s, et cetera. But you can never have more than enough, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, no. because there's just so many different dynamics to this. And especially when you talk about the trauma of the special ed students in which uh, I take that very uh, near and dear to my heart as it relates to trauma uh, as well as grief. Now, uh, when, mm-hmm. when, it, when it comes to these type of stories, they kind of just um, just just lit the flame under you so you can move forward. Uh, do you find yourself counseling, um, you know, more as it relates to uh, those who are going through that particular trauma, uh, um, as well as not only the, the adults, but also the children? Um, yes, yes. And I think it's because people people know that I have a, an expertise in this area, but also I'm a clinician by training, by training. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a mental health professional, a career mental health professional. So I've been counseling for years and oftentimes this would be the backdrop for it. It may not be the presenting problem, but you know, as you delve further into the, into the client's past, you find that it's there and it's made them susceptible for the problem that they're seeking help with today. You know, so, um, so I, people reach out to me for a variety of reasons, all kinds of reasons, but often domestic violence is a backdrop. You, you, you know, uh, we, we oftentimes uh, shame. And of course, you know, the name of the show was shame free life radio is no shame on here. And, we, and we're just uncovering all of the shame to have so many people mm-hmm. um, bound. Um, th- th- there's a shaming yeah. that, that, that goes on with, um, the, the the male or female that may find themselves as victims. And I'm, I'm sure that you have uh, come in contact with individuals who are male uh, that are not as vocal as females that find themselves in a domestic violence situation or relationship. Right, right. Okay, so shame, when we're talking about shame, right, it's defined as a painful feeling of humiliation that arises from the consciousness of something being um, improper, you know, immoral, dishonorable, done by oneself or another. And it's also, it can be weaponized. And often this is used in domestic violence to control the victim. I'm glad that you mentioned that men are also victims because frequently that's not spoken about. Um, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Many of the same reasons that women underreport. Men have the stigma associated with 
you know, you allow the woman to treat you this way. You know, you're not a man. They're often not taken seriously. They're often denigrated when they do share it. And many don't recognize that they're in an abusive situation. They don't even know, just like many women, they don't recognize it as abuse. And so education, education is, is key. Uh, shame is a very powerful weapon. It's used by many. It's used by some who, who feel that they want to help and they're, and they're not helping. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, if I tell you that I'm being mistreated in a relationship and you ask me, am I sure? <laughs> Are you sure? Are you sure they did that? What did you do to upset them? You understand what I'm saying? And so it's it's very, very, very pervasive. And oftentimes shaming is done and people don't even understand that that's what they're doing. And so again, education, education is key. You know, the, and the opposite, the opposite of shame is honor and respect and approval and esteem. And so, you know, when we inflict shame um, on others, on victims, whether they be male or female, we are tearing them down. Mm-hmm. We are tearing them down and scandalizing them and degrading them. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's you know, shame is so paralyzing. And, um, you know, a- along with that, uh, th- there is there is such a, a stigma that's placed upon the victim that somehow, um, you know, you bought this on or why are you staying in this relationship? And can, can you speak to that? Because, and, and you know, the, the situations are very subjective. There's not a, a one size fit all as far as why a person would find themselves in a relationship that the average person, quote unquote, can just walk away from. However, this individual find themselves unable to move because they're paralyzed or think that they can change an individual or thirdly that find themselves in relationship after relationship. It's almost like the Holly Berry concept, you know, not to shame her at all, Mm -hmm. but finding herself regardless if, 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 if the man is black, if he's white, if he's Christian, if he's Muslim, whatever the case may be, finding, finding oneself in the same type of relationship, different type of person, different complexion, Mm -hmm. but the same type of mentality. Can you speak to why Mm -hmm. individuals find themselves either one unable to leave while in an abusive relationship? And secondly, the two part question is finding themselves in that type of relationship year after year or time after time. Okay. So, what happens in trauma? You know, when we experience trauma, male or female, the brain is physically rewired. And most people don't know this. They don't understand this. They think it comes down to intelligence or self-esteem. And it has nothing to do with intelligence. And it has very little to do with self-esteem. The brain changes volume physically. If you could weigh your brain before trauma and weigh it after, it wouldn't weigh the same. And so you don't have as much to work with, frankly. And your perception is off. Your sense of right and wrong is off as it pertains to you and how you're being treated. You are no longer trusting your own judgment and your own decision-making ability. Um, And so all of this, all of this 
causes a victim to want to stay. You want to fix it, right? You want things to get better. And if you're listening to the abuser, whether the abuser is the man or the woman, they have convinced you over time that you are the problem. That if you did things differently or if you failed to do other things, if you didn't burn the eggs, if you, you know, didn't forget to close the window when you left to go to work, whatever the reason, there's something wrong with you. And the only way we stay in an unhealthy situation, the only way we do that is to become unhealthy. We have to become unhealthy to tolerate it. And so you've got a, a, a human being who's now been denigrated, who's now being degraded on a rate, they're getting a regular diet of what's wrong with them. Isolation has probably set in because of shame, because of embarrassment, because you run out of lies to tell your friends about why you have this bruise or why you're tired or why you never have any money and you make more money than all your friends. You know, you, you get tired of making up these stories, you get tired of covering. And if you are a person of faith, you have the additional stigma of, well, God doesn't like, you know, divorce if you're married. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you're not married, well, you shouldn't be in an intimate relationship anyway. That goes against the word of God. That goes against, you know, the scripture. Um, and so, again, you've got shame, you've got browbeating, and you've got isolation. Mm-hmm. So what happens is there are things in our life that predispose us to abusive relationships. And by that, I mean, it it sets us up for them. It makes us prime for them. And it makes us viable targets for a seasoned abuser. They know exactly what they're looking for. They know exactly what they're looking for. They're looking for someone who's giving and caring and will give you the shirt off of their back and will go to great lengths to please you and make you the center of the universe. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for people who pride themselves on being empathic and able to feel the feelings of others who are full of compassion and who are givers. That's who they look for. And then they convince you that you don't have anything to offer while draining you of everything that you do have to offer. And so it's very, very complex. On average, a woman will leave seven times if she lives before she leaves for good. Seven times. Seven times. The problem with that is every time she returns, his hand is strengthened because now he knows what the warning signs are that she's getting ready to leave. So every time she leaves, it's more and more dangerous. It's more and more dangerous. And then you have the isolation because no one, the embarrassment, right? The shame, the guilt. Maybe, Maybe the abuser has a history of abuse themselves. And some of them will lie and say they do when they don't have one. They're just nasty people, okay? Mm-hmm. But say they have a history of abuse. A lot of times the victim will feel like everybody else abandoned him. His, his mother left him when he was little. His father was never around. I can't be the person that leaves him. I'm going to be the person that doesn't leave no matter what. And so oftentimes that's the issue, that they feel guilt about even considering leaving an abusive situation. This is despite the fact that maybe they're experiencing financial abuse. Maybe they're experiencing emotional abuse. Okay. And, and emotional normally kicks in before the physical. Mm. Even if they're having bones broken, they don't want to leave because everybody else left. 
And if I don't leave him, maybe he'll love me eventually. Wow. Let, let me ask you this question, you know, because when you when mm-hmm. when you think of domestic violence, the first thing you that, that we have this image that has been, you know, implanted in our in our mind's eye from commercials, uh, uh, TV shows, et cetera, movies of, you know, the woman with the mm-hmm. black eye, bloody nose, et cetera, you know, being rushed to the ER. Mm-hmm. But but we oftentimes don't talk about the flip side of that. As far as financial abuse, um, the manipulation oh, yeah. of one's mind, um, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. these, these Jedi mind tricks, emotional abuse, mm-hmm. uh, and also mm-hmm. uh, spiritual abuse. Um, so can, yeah. can, can you begin to, you know, just this kind of just unpack the spiritual abuse, the emotional and financial abuse and how oftentimes um, they are uh, intricately connected? in many situations and circumstances. Yes. Yes. So all is all abuse involves emotional abuse. All of it. It's all has an emotional abusive underpinning uh, because abuse is occurring because abuse is present in that situation, in that relationship. Typically, Domestic violence, abusive relationships begin with emotional abuse. And a lot of times the first thing is you have to be dehumanized. And so an indicator might be that you're being called out of your name. You know, your your name rarely, you almost don't even know what your name is anymore because you get called all these other foul names all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pushing, threatening. Uh, you know, walking around just wielding a weapon. You don't have to tell me you might shoot me if you're walking through the house holding a handgun. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's pretty evident that you understand that you could take my life. And so the financial, the financial piece, a lot of times is subtle. Sometimes it's just really blatant. You may have a situation where the abuser's not working at all and he's taking the victim's paycheck, all of it, doling out gas money, doling out pantyhose money, uh, doling out lunch money, and she's the one that's going to work. She could have a six-figure income, and he could be working at Taco Bell. Or she could have a six-figure income, and he's not working at all, not trying to work, and taking all of her money, Mm. deciding what she pays and what she doesn't pay. But he has control of the finances. And so people might say, well, now, how is that possible? And she's making six figures and she's, you know, she's, she's got a lot going for her. It's because of coercive control. There are coercive control tactics that abusers use that they over time gain control of the thought processes of the target or the victim. And so financial abuse is key because if the abuser is controlling the finances, how does she then exit? What is she going to exit with? If he has access to all of the accounts and all of the credit cards and he's taking the money, right? Um, how is she leaving? Can't. It takes money. It takes finances to leave. It takes finances to leave. So that's one way that you cripple a person, you know, right out of the starting block. You, you know, get them in a chokehold about their finances. And that's a pretty strong weapon. It's a pretty strong weapon. The emotional abuse comes into play because 
the victim has to be denigrated, has to be convinced that they're worthless, has to be convinced that there's no hope, that nobody will love them, you know, except for the abuser. They have to be convinced of that to put up with it. And if they've got their own disposition towards it anyway, they're already vulnerable. Because a person who's not vulnerable to this will get out of this. The moment this, these behaviors try to surface, they're done. They're done. A healthy person, a person who is healthy at the onset, doesn't have to hang around to find out. They know this does not smell right. It doesn't feel right. And nobody's going to talk to me that way. I'm not going to be treated that way. So a healthy person's not going to hang around for a whole bunch of red flags to show up. It doesn't take that many red flags for a healthy person to decide, I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. The problem comes in when the abuser, the, the abuser is having this internal conversation about ownership, right? And the rights that they have to the victim. And the victim's not included in this conversation in many cases. And so what you're dealing with are the reactions of the abuser when the victim decides, I'm going to stand up for myself. I'm not staying in this. Then the rage and all of that takes place. And it can be a little confusing, except you have to understand that it's what's going on in their head. They could care less about what's going on in yours as a victim. They feel that they're the victim. As far as they're concerned, they're the victim and you're mistreating them. Now, spiritual abuse, <laughs> spiritual <laughs> abuse, you know, this show. is a pet peeve of <laughs> that, yeah, that, that's a that's a that's a pet peeve of mine. Um and so you have people in, in ministry positions, you have people in positions of authority, and you know, ministry is one of those occupations in which credibility is extended, and it doesn't have to have a whole lot to do with the character of the person that has the title. The fact that they have the title uh, gives them credibility automatically. The credibility is assumed, right? You have to prove that they're not credible. The assumption off the top is that they are. And so this places ministry leaders in a very, very powerful position. So misappropriating scripture is huge. Um, not talking about the things that, that are on the heart of God is another red flag. Um, Someone who feels that they're qualified to provide counseling because they pastor, which is a pet peeve of mine, because no, you are not. No, you're not. And a lot more people will probably be alive if ministry leaders would realize that they need to go be trained to do these things. You don't just, God calls you to preach, then preach. Do that. Preach. And, and let therapists and counselors, let them address these other issues, it's okay. Um, so, you know, so not meeting the needs of the people, misappropriating scripture, abusing their own spouses, mm. which is why many of them don't say anything because they're guilty of these behaviors. They have to preach against what they're already doing. And, and you have some that will, you have some that will, but, but most won't touch the topic that they're guilty of. They'll say, they, they never say anything about it. Or they might put a poster up in October. But they're not going to talk about it. They're not going to do a series about it. Mm-hmm. They're not going to do it. They'll do a series about how to get a house. 
<laughs> they won't do a series about a series about this. Mm-hmm. They won't address it, you know, depending on who it is in the ministry who's 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 engaging in these behaviors. They won't address it depending on who it is. Sometimes, if the if the abuser appears to be a good tither or a great sower, you know, and and, and as far as the church knows, it's his money. But if it's an abusive situation, there's a real good chance it's not even his money. It's probably her money. Mm-hmm. But if they if they are supportive, if they are high profile in the ministry, if they feel like the ministry would be embarrassed or have a black eye if this was addressed, um, if they feel like it would be a reflection on their ability to discern, you know, and to place people in positions. And here's another catch. Oftentimes ministry leaders Men as well as women put too much stock in the 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 influence that they believe that they have with the abuser. Mm. I have a rapport with him. He listens to me or she listens to me. And so my question becomes, well, were you not their ministry leader before they started doing all of this? Your being in their life didn't, didn't prevent them from doing it. What makes you think your conversation with them is going to stop them from doing it? Mm-hmm. And so egos get involved right. right egos get involved and when we don't want to admit that we don't have the influence that we thought we had don't address it just don't bring it up just don't bring it up you know you know you, i i had a, a young lady years ago mm-hmm. and this was one of the other things that i just never forgot there's a young lady long ago that um attended church she didn't go to my church she went to a different church um, her husband was being unfaithful, and there's no appropriate way to be unfaithful, but he wasn't even being discreet. Okay, so everybody knew who the girlfriend was. He was seen out with her in town, and she was humiliated and embarrassed. She told me she wanted to go talk to her pastor. Everything in me, and I will never do this again, everything in me said she does not need to go talk to that man. Not that man, not that pastor. She went and talked to the pastor, and when she got finished talking to the pastor, she called me and informed me that she was going to kill her husband and she was going to kill her children because nobody was going to be around to take care of them and she was going to kill herself. After she spoke with her pastor, hmm. who told her this, he told her she should just go home and be a good wife. He asked her, what did she do to upset him? Hmm. I ended up going to her house and demanding the shotgun that I knew that she had. And she gave it to me. You know, but it's just, why is she feeling like this after she talks to him? Hmm. She wasn't feeling like that before she talked to him. And so that really bothered me, and it has always bothered me. And so when you're talking about, about spiritual abuse, you know, being inept, not being skilled, um, being too proud to acknowledge that they're not skilled, being too proud to refer them to someone who is. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's all of that is spiritual abuse. Being guilty of it yourself. And then therefore, you know, being disqualified from addressing it across your pulpit because, you know, you're doing it. You mm-hmm. know, so it's, it's very multifaceted. It's very, very multifaceted, but yeah, that 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 situation at, at the church bothered me. That and us not being sensitive to what's going on 
around us. Because usually there are indicators. The problem is we don't listen long enough. We'll ask someone, how are you doing? I'm fine. And we accept that. You know why we accept it? Because we aren't really interested. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. We accept it because we're not really interested. Yeah. We just being politically correct. We just being polite. We're not really interested in knowing how you're doing. Um, you know, and so, you know, for me, if I ask you how you're doing, I'm listening to your response. If it doesn't sound right, I'm going to tell you that wasn't very convincing. Point blank, tell you, I don't believe. (laughs) I don't believe that. I need for you to believe. You know, so all of these things are are intertwined. It's very complex. It's not as simple as just leaving. Um, It's it's the brain has been rewired. Now, the, the good news is the good news is if a victim can exit a domestic violence situation. And if they can manage not to experience trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma, healing is absolutely possible. Healing is possible. Mm-hmm. And there's life on the other side of abuse. And you can find love and all that other good stuff on the other side of abuse. But you've got a lot of work to do. And so let's dovetail into the question that you asked me about why people find themselves in the same situation. Because they haven't healed. This is what usually happens, and this is something that um, that I've learned over time. This is not out of a textbook that I've read, um, but I know it to be true. There's a tendency for us as humans. We experience trauma. We experience a disappointment or hurt. You exit that relationship. What we tend to look for in the next relationship is the one thing that we saw we were deprived of in the previous relationship. Or we look for the absence of the one thing that hurt us the most in the previous relationship. So if I'm in a relationship with someone and they are emotionally abusing me and they are hitting me and I exit safely, then I get into a relationship with someone And as long as I'm not getting hit, I can probably deal with the emotional piece. That's what I'm telling myself. Well, at least he's not hitting me. And so we're looking for, instead of looking at the entire person, we are focused on, we are laser focused on what can I, what does this person have that can soothe this pain that I'm already carrying? And so you do that from relationship to relationship, right? And and so you, you, you can run through a series of relationships and never be completely fulfilled because you're always settling. Hmm. You're always settling. So, you so, know, we have to look past, okay, okay, he's polite. Okay, you know, he buys me flowers. Maybe my previous partner, maybe they didn't recognize my birthday. Maybe they didn't give me gifts. And, and this one gives me gifts. Hmm. But he's cussing me out. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The fact that he's giving me gifts will cause me to override the fact that he's cussing me out. Because that's what I didn't get the last time that I thought I had to have. That one thing that I thought, if that was present, that that relationship could have worked. Mm-hmm. So it appears that when a person uh, puts in the work on themselves and begin mm-hmm. begin the journey of inner healing, then there will be less mm-hmm. room for or, or a margin of error when it comes to 
any kind of uh, domestic violence, mistreatment, because you have come into your own understanding of how valuable you are and you won't allow anybody else to discount you. Right. And and so you have to be willing. You, have to, you can't rush it. It takes however long it takes. It takes however long it takes. It really does. And so people struggle with that. You know, and, and it's not just the absence of being in a relationship. You know, someone can tell me I've been out of I haven't been in a relationship for eight years. Okay, but what have you been doing for eight years? Mm-hmm. Have you been working on yourself over these past eight years, or have you just avoided relationships for the past eight years? Mm-hmm. Because if you've only been avoiding relationships and not working on you and what made that previous thing, that unhealthy situation, appeal to you in the first place, right? If you've not actively addressed that, you're dragging those same wounds. They just been dormant for eight years. That's all. Mm. And they're going to all come to life. It's new situation. Mm. You know, that's, 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 and you may attract a perfectly healthy person. Mm-hmm. You know, you can attract a perfectly healthy person. And if they stay with you and you're unhealthy, they are becoming unhealthy to stay with you. That's what they're doing. Mm. A, a healthy person will say, you know what, I really like you, but you've got some things you need to work on. <laughs> and I can't fix you. Mm. And, and and that's it, because, you know, you, we oftentimes, you know, hear it in, you know, different church services as far as, you know, um, you know, even a song, you know, that Hezekiah Walker came out with back in the day, you know, I pray for you, you pray for me, I need you to survive and I mean, but not if you're going upside my head. No, I don't need you to right. survive. Um, I right. need me to survive. Right. But this is what I want to speak because right. we, we're going to have to, we, we, we're going to definitely, you know, have you in again on a part two basis as we go into a different mm-hmm. area concerning this. But I, I really want you to address the, um, the whole notion of, um, a person who is who 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 demonstrates um, the the behavior of uh, someone who is um, you know involved in domestic violence as far as who's instituting it um, against someone else that we oftentimes hear well well this is a spirit this is a demon spirit that needs to be cast out now I know that you understand um, you know spiritual warfare just like anyone else yeah. you know Dr mm-hmm. Richardson but. How do you differentiate between one who has a demon spirit that needs to be cast out? And this is the reason why he's acting the fool. This is the reason why he went upside your head, you know, for the 12th time or why she went upside your head, sir. How do you differentiate between a demon spirit and one who has mental Mm -hmm. issues and one who's just as mean as a rattlesnake in Arizona? Okay. So here's here's the thing. In every one of those situations, the cooperation of the person is required. Mm. Now, if a person has a mental illness and if they've been diagnosed, if they've been diagnosed, they've also been told what to do about it. If they're still acting out, they're not doing what they were told. That's a choice. That's a choice. Um, I've run psychiatric facilities, so I know what I'm talking about. I've had patients say to me, well, do I have to take my medication? You don't have to take your medication, but you can't act like somebody that needs medication if you don't take your medication. Mm. 
you cannot hit people upside the head and then say, well, I didn't take my meds. Because you understand that you're supposed to take your meds. You understand what I'm saying? So that's a choice. Um, a demon spirit. The cooperation is required. It's, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, cooperation is required. You have to co-sign what that devil is saying. And I'm saying this as someone who is skilled in spiritual warfare. Okay, they don't just show up and, and, and jump in and take over without you conceding something. Something's been conceded. And that's why they, they have that legal right to operate in your life because you've invited them in, you've opened the door. So there's no excuse. Abusers abuse because they can. They abuse because it's a choice. They've decided that you have no value. They've decided that you have no voice and that you have no right. And so there's no excuse. You know, and a lot of times I think we want to take the easy way out. Well, you know, we, we just need to cast them out. Well, guess what? You can't cast the devil out of anybody that don't want the devil to go. <laughs> That's right. How about that? Mm-hmm. How about that? If they don't want the devil gone, the devil's not leaving. Not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. They have a right to be there because the host is okay with them being there. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you what I know from a spiritual standpoint. You know, and so from a natural standpoint, they're just, they, they are mean and nasty. They've got issues. They've chosen not to address them. You know, if, if, and certainly if they have a pattern of abusive behaviors, you're not the first one. And when they've depleted you, they're going to find new supplies. That's what they're going to do. Mm. And if they try to come back, that means something went wrong with the supply that they had. It tapped out. Mm. They woke up, they left, something happened and now they're back. Mm. Okay. So it's, it's, we just, this is a real thing and people are dying and they're dying unnecessarily. Not even, it's preventable. It's preventable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know that I, I really want us to, to, to dive into uh, the next time that you want uh, this codependency. That, of course, which mm-hmm. you, you've always, you know, you've talked about on on numerous occasions concerning trauma bonding mm-hmm. and how codependency yeah. plays in that time and time again. Uh, individuals mm-hmm. that find themselves in these toxic relationships of codependency, which is actually rooted in or directly connected to the shame that they have not yet addressed. Um, but we definitely want to get yeah. into that. Dr. Richardson, if if if, uh, if you could give some advice to somebody who has probably listened to it, hey, well, listen, this is what my aunt is going through. Well, this is what I am going through. Um, what type mm-hmm. of advice would you give them if they are right now involved in a volatile, dangerous um, situation? Marriage, relationship, whatever would- the case may be. Right. I mean, I would hope that they would understand that, that they don't deserve it. It doesn't matter what they've done or what they have failed to do. They do not deserve to be mistreated. That No one deserves that. Um, and I would say educate yourself. And, and I would say that if you have a loved one who is ensnared, who is trapped, because that's what they are, they're trapped. Don't 
denigrate them and shame them and ask them, well, why are you putting up with this? Because you strengthen the hand of the abuser when you do that. And you increase the likelihood that they'll start hiding things from you. You can't help them if you don't understand what's going on. Um, and so educate yourself. Educate yourself. Educate yourself. Provide them with resources. Um, we have a YouTube channel, Judas Roar, D-Z-A-I, for Domestic Violence Awareness Initiative. Um, we have 90-something videos, different topics relating to domestic violence. That's a great place to start. They can watch a video. You can watch a video and share it with them. Uh, we have a closed Facebook group um, called Dominion Over Domestic Violence. It's closed. It's private. Everybody that tries to get in does not get in because I'm betting the heck out of you. I'm checking and I'm making sure because it has to be a safe place for those who are participating in the group. So there are lots of resources out here. They can inbox me, you know, on Facebook. We're on uh, Instagram as Judas Roar. Uh, we're on Twitter. We, you know, so we're, we're pretty easy to find. We're easy to find. But the most important thing is just be encouraged. Be encouraged. Don't believe the lies that the abuser, whether they are the man or the woman, what they are telling you. Don't you believe it? Don't you believe it? Don't you believe it? Do not isolate yourself. Mm -hmm. Don't isolate yourself. Um, and if you are committed to helping someone who's in an abusive situation, you must educate yourself so that you can keep yourself safe as well as them. 20% of domestic violence homicide victims are not even the victim. They are family members. They are neighbors. They are innocent bystanders. They are first responders, people who are simply trying to help. So you want to educate yourself so that you know how to navigate it as safely as possible. Absolutely. And, and how can how can someone get in contact with you if they were like one on one counsel? I mean, be it by if you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're not doing the in-person things. We're, we're still operating by Zoom, online resources right. uh, and, and uh, also uh, Cash App. Uh, how, if someone would like to they, uh, to to donate uh, to your cause, um, how how can they do so? Okay. All right. If someone wants to uh, partner with us, if they want to 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 donate to us, they can do so. Um, our cash app is dollar sign Judas Roar J U D A H S and then Roar R O A R R R to indicate an extended roar okay so judas roar is our cash app um you can inbox me on facebook you can watch a video send me a message you know on youtube comment on a video or something like that um but i'm really not that hard to find um also um my personal page is cheryl richardson c-h-e-r-y-l-e richardson s-o-n um, and then I have a, a page, Apostle Cheryl L. Richardson. So I'm all over. Um, and certainly if I can help you, that's exactly what I want to do. But as, more than anything, I just want you to be safe. And I want you to live so that you can experience for yourself an abundant life and not what you've been experiencing right now. Absolutely. Definitely get to have you back on, uh, Dr. Dr. Richardson. I mean, uh, if it's, if it's anybody that can break the silence of domestic violence, it certainly is you. And, um, 
I can't wait to have you back on. Um, and and uh, thank you so much for your expertise and giving people hope. And just remember to join us next week. And uh, we certainly will have Dr. Richardson back as we begin to continue to unpack the luggage as it relates to codependency and coming up out of shame uh, to live your life, rebuild your life one brick at a time, because your fresh start begins when you say so. Until next time, family, peace and blessings to you. Love you to life. Thank you for joining us on the Shame Free Life Radio Show. For 15 minutes of shame, follow us on IG and Twitter at Shame Free Life. For information on promoting your business with us, contact us at theshamefreelife at gmail.com. Until next time, your life begins when you say so.